You ever had to wait for something? <laughs> Waiting is not easy. So here, let's have, let's have a vote. Who here enjoys waiting? We got one. That ain't true. <laughs> Who here really dislikes waiting? The vast, vast majority of the people here. We live in a society, we've been trained instant gratification, right? We, we got fast food. And, oh my gosh, and if our food's not fast, we're just... I hate waiting. It, it, it requires... Patient, it requires a certain amount of, of trust. If I go to a restaurant and there's a lineup, you know, you see people sitting and waiting, I just, no. It's five minutes, no. <laughs> Can't do it. And I love the way God does things for me, you know, because I'm preaching on this today. So Friday, my day off, I've got lots of plans for Friday. And Sandra comes to me and says, oh, the car won't start properly. And I go in there and sure enough, so battery, you know, so we got a Walmart battery, it's been in there two years, I go down to Walmart, take a look at the battery please, or go in there and sit, so I go and sit, and about half an hour later they come out and they say, nothing wrong with your battery, it's like, okay, check, you need to check your, your, your charging system, we're going to charge up your car, and, and then you can have it back, so I sit another half hour, I've been there an hour, and then the guy comes to me, and he says, your battery's not working, <laughs> but we don't have that one in stock <laughs> you can go to the one up on Stone, Stonebrook up there so I drive up there and I've got the little slip of paper from the testing already I give it to the person look battery fails no 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 we have to test it okay how long is it going to be two hours so the kind of person that I am I just relax for a couple of hours. An hour and a half later comes back to me, your battery's fine. <laughs> I said, well, I just had it tested at the other place. He told me the battery's not fine. Now you're telling me it is fine? No, we did the test. I said, they did the test. They said it was fine. Then the battery wouldn't take you. Blah, 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 blah. I still have the battery. Take it to AutoZone. Get it all tested. Battery's good. Starter's good. Generator's good. Anyway, I don't like waiting. <laughs> I am not a good waiter. This morning, we're going to talk about a man who had to wait a long, long, long time. We're in a series called Back to Bethlehem. It's, it's the tracing the account of humanity's redemption from the fall, the fall that happens initially in the spiritual realms all the way to Bethlehem and beyond from Bethlehem. We began three weeks ago with a message called Stranger Things where we looked at discontent in heaven and the fall up there and we looked at some pretty interesting scriptures starting in Genesis that actually ended in Revelation. Last week we focused on humanity and the fall of humanity. We went from the Garden of Eden through to Noah. And uh, if you want to get any of these messages, go to our website, go to Facebook. You can download them. You can watch them online. Today, we're going to continue the journey from the flood to Abraham. Now, we're going to take a big 
picture look at Abraham's life to see what we can learn from this journey. Now, we can't read all of it. It spans 14 chapters in Genesis. It's, it's one of the longest accounts in all the Bible of one particular individual. 14 chapters. That's longer than many of the books in the New Testament. Just on, on Abraham. So I am going to paraphrase muchly. Now, Abraham, to say that Abraham's life was significant is, is a massive understatement. He is the patriarch of three of the world's great religions. Judaism traces its roots back to Abraham. Christianity chases its roots back to Abraham. Islam chases its roots back to Abraham. So, I mean, there, there's quite a watershed at Abraham. So, let me give you some perspective to get... The picture here. After the flood, Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, set about populating the world. Can we go to the next slide, please? Now, I don't know if you can see that. I always find this interesting. So, Japheth went off to Europe, Ham went down to Africa, and Shem, Europe. But I just love it, you know, if you draw a circle around those three continents, where do the circles intersect? Right in the Middle East, right in the center of where this all began. They all, I find that fascinating. Now, what happened is immediately after the the flood and Noah and his family get off the ark, God gives them a command, go populate the world. And they start about this process of populating the world, but they all hang around together. They, they all stay in one spot and they begin to build this tower. You can read this, it's called the Tower of Babel. And God comes down and says, this is not the plan. You're, you're supposed to travel out and populate the world. So that's where he scrambles the languages so that they would go off and populate the world. It's difficult to hang out with people if you don't know what they're saying, right? You kind of, we tend to gravitate to people who can understand us. So I go with this group, they go with that group, they go with that group, they go that way, they go that way, they go that way. Now, I got a timeline for you. Find this interesting. You may not, but I love this kind of stuff. So I put this together. So you got the timeline from Noah all the way down to Abraham. The yellow, it's kind of like the chart last week, is their lifespan. And the red along the top are the years from the creation of Adam. That's all that we can measure for. So Noah starts off the chart in 1056. And he lives 950 years. He dies in the year 2006. So it, it's kind of interesting. You see the 2000? I've put the box around the 2000. 2000 years from when Adam was created, all of those people are alive. We don't often think about this. When Abraham was born, Noah was still alive. In fact, Shem, Shem, Japheth, and Ham outlives Abraham. Eber outlives them all. Now, Eber is kind of interesting. This might have been the point that that the languages get scrambled because Eber... So he is, let's see, Abraham, Terah's father, grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather, four times great-grandfather. Eber is where we get the name Hebrew. It comes from his name. 
So that might have been the point where the languages were scrambled and this group went off with Eber and they became the Hebrews. That was, that was, you get a lot when you come here. <laughs> that was Abraham's, Abraham's line. But I just find it fascinating that Abraham was 58 years old when Noah died. Isn't that wild? I mean, it wasn't until I'm putting this together, I thought, man, that's kind of interesting. So all of this is going on as, as, as we read this account of Abraham. All of this population from all of these people in all of these regions is still going. And this is just one line. This is just Shem. There are two other lines as well. Anyway, I just find that interesting. Sorry about that. Can you imagine the family reunion? (laughs) There'd be thousands and thousands of people at the family reunion. Like, where are you going to hold it? Six flags. (laughs) Now, Abraham, he was the recipient of a great promise. I called this message the promise. I called last week's message the promise. We didn't get to the promise. This is the promise too. Now, if you've got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 11. And we're going to read the first part of the account of Abraham's life. And then I'm going to paraphrase most of the rest of it. Begins in chapter 11, right at the end of of chapter 11. And it kind of sets everything up. Says, this is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abram, as you hear the word Abram, we're talking about Abraham. I'll explain that in a little bit. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Ishkah were the daughters of Nahor's brother Haran. But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day, Terah took his son Abraham, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's, Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Now going into chapter 12, it says, The Lord had said to Abraham. Now, sometimes it's easy to let little, little words slip past you. Note the tense here. The Lord had said to Abraham. This is past tense. This is a conversation that has gone on before. And if you read through the account of Abraham, you'll find that this conversation actually happened back in Ur of the Chaldeans. So he says, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you And curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now that is a big, big promise. I mean, there's a lot in there. I'm going to give you this land you're standing in. All of this land. Or I'm going to give you a land that I'm going to show you. You don't even know it yet. I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to protect you. And you will be 
All families, all the families on the planet will be blessed because of you. I mean, that's, that's a promise, isn't it? That's an awesome promise. I don't know, you know, think about this. What must it have been like? We read all the time where it says, and God said to them, how? Like, how did that conversation go? This got me out of bed Friday morning, getting ready for the car, I guess. I'm lying in bed thinking about this, and I'm just thinking about, you know, if God calls you to talk to you, and it's early in the morning, and I can't sleep, and I get up, and, and I'm wandering through the house, and I turned on the light, and you know what it's like when your eyes are not adjusted. It's like, oh. And I thought, man, I wonder if that's what it's like. Like, how did God show up? Was it a blinding light? Like, was it a, a huge noise? We have no idea of what this conversation is like. But I, I believe to be in the presence of God, when God talks to you, he's going to get your attention. You're not going to be, I wonder if that was God. It's like, that was God. So there's a line of faith, a spiritual DNA that has been handed down from Adam all the way through the evil that preceded the flood to Noah, to Shem, down through the family line, all the way down to Abram. And, you know, it made me think, are you passing on spiritual DNA. Or does it all happen by happenstance? You know, do you, do you pray with your kids, with your grandkids? Do you read with them? Do you talk about God sightings? Do you talk about the things that God has done in your life or that you've seen God do in other people's lives? Do they see you serving the Lord in obedience to him? You know, do they know that you're a follower of Christ because of your actions, not just because of what you say, but because of what you do and your attitude? You know, it made me think, you know, what intentional things do we do in our home to pass on spiritual DNA? Or does it just kind of happen? It's something that we should all be intentional about. Our kids need to know and our grandkids need to know and our spouse needs to know why we believe what we believe. So Abram departs as the Lord had instructed. He departs as the Lord has instructed. You know, there's three kinds of faith. I put this in your notes, I think. Let me have a look at the notes. Yes. Three kinds of faith. There's intellectual faith. Intellectual faith, I think I talked about this a little bit last week, is an assent to a truth. It's, it's, I believe this. It doesn't really require any action. It just requires an agreement. I believe this. I believe that God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe that all things are possible through God. I believe that his word comes through his Holy Spirit to his servants. So many things that I believe. And then there's temporary faith. Nothing wrong with temporary faith. We pray it. Jesus told us to pray it. Give us this day our daily bread. But at the end of the day, when the daily bread's been given, I don't need that temporary faith anymore. Thank you, God. Check that box. And then there's a working faith. I act upon what I believe to be true. It is a demonstrated faith. In short, and I did put this, yeah. First one is, I think. The second one is, I need. And the third one is, I do. 
I think I believe this to be true. I need this to be true. I act because this is true. I do. So the Lord gives Abram a promise and a command. And Abram acts upon it. Now very often, I find it interesting in the Bible so often that when God gives a promise, he often ties it together with a command. Here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's my expectation of you. Let's see how faithful you are. Let's see if you'll step out in faith. And when you step out in faith, you'll know that I am faithful to you. Obedience is the key that opens the door to faith. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. (laughs) I get this. You know, it's a big deal to leave your homeland, your family, and go to a land you've never been to. It's a big deal. I remember when Sandra and I first moved across the ocean to Canada. We'd never been to Canada. And we're not going on vacation, we're, we're going to live. And everything is so different, the money is different. They have a funny accent. It's all so different. It was just nicely speak English, kind of. But it's a big deal to get up and leave your family, leave everything and go. To a new country, a new place where you don't know anybody and you don't know anything About them. Now, there's a couple of significant points in that little passage. We've already read Sarai is unable to have children. Abram is 75 years old. Sarah is 10 years younger. She's 65 years old. Those are the facts. God gives Abram a promise, but those are the facts. And and, and with those facts, it it really adds a gravity to the promise. Because if God's not in the promise, it ain't happening, right? Any of the ladies here, can you imagine having a baby at 65 years old? Anyone up for that? (laughs) No, Bob, that doesn't count. (laughs) I wonder what she said to Abram. I'm like, nope. (laughs) I don't care what God said. Make do with what we got, buddy. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up a camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Now, the Canaanites are the descendants of Ham. Abram is the descendant of Shem. So they're two different people groups, but just 300 or so years prior to this, they have the same root, but they're different groups now. Different languages. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. He worshipped the Lord. Built an altar, a remembrance, a marker of the place. This is the second time now that, that God has come to him. And he builds this marker. This is, this is where I met God. This is where God gave me the promise, and this is the land that he promised to me. 
I'm building this altar. I'm building this place to, to worship the Lord. It's a remembrance. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. And I imagine, and I got a picture here, that he's going through the land and he comes to the hill country. And, it, and it's so beautiful, it's kind of like, man, God, seriously, you, all of this? He's going through the land. He's, you know, all of this is promised to me and my descendants. And I think he comes to this beautiful place like, i got to build another altar. Oh, God, I can't believe what you're doing here. You're giving this to me and my descendants? I want to camp on this for a second. Do you have an altar? Do you have an altar in your home? I have an altar in my home. Well, it's not really an altar. It's not really a home. No. If you've been to my house, you probably haven't noticed our altar. It's not that big. Can we go to the next slide, please? It's a little rock. It sits on the mantle over the fireplace. It's about this big. I should have bought it. And it was given to us by a friend up in Canada in a time when we were going through some difficult, difficult times. And we were praying and we were calling on the Lord, but we were going through some seriously difficult times. And God brought us through those difficult times and our friend gave us this rock and said, this is a remembrance of what God did. We kept the rock and it's come down here with us and now it sits in our living room. It's important to have reminders. See, reminding, remembering what God has done in the past strengthens us for today. It gives us hope for the future. It strengthens us for the troubles that are going to come in the future. This was my God in the past. My God in the past is the same God as he is today. He is the same God as he is tomorrow. Here's my remembrances. Do you remember what God did? Oh my gosh, I remember what God did. I believe my God will come through again. He's going to be there again. When it's all dark and I don't know how it's going to be, I can look at my altar and think, my God. It's important to remember it also reminds us to pray and to give thanks in those moments. You know, sometimes we have questions, right? Are you really there, God? Stuff's going on in our lives. Are you really there, God? Do you hear me, God? Am I just praying to the ceiling? What's going on? Do you really care, God? Why is this happening to me, God? There's my altar. I can trust my God. It might look dark right now, but I can trust my God. That's my God. I remember what happened in these dark days. God was there. Then Abram continued, traveling south by stages towards the Negev. The Negev is an area in south Israel. It's a little bit arid. It's not like the hill country. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. Now, it's easy to overlook the significance of this. 
So you've got this threefold promise. You're going to be the father of a great nation. You'll be a blessing to all the families on earth. And this land I'm giving you as an inheritance. But now they're in the land and this severe famine comes upon that. So bad they can't even live there. That means the animals are dying. There's no food. There's no water. They're old. His wife is barren. And I'm sure there's a point here on this journey down to Egypt, going to a country where he's going to be a foreigner, where, where Abram's thinking to himself, really, God? I'm an old guy. She's an old woman. And this land doesn't look that attractive right now. Really, God? And he goes down to Egypt where he lives as a foreigner. So at this point, he's just a wanderer with a promise in a foreign land. Now, typically when we teach on Abram, faith is the essence of the message. After all, Abram, his message, where is it, Hebrews 11? The, the cha- is it 11 or 12? I can't remember. The, the chapter of faith, the roll call of faith. Abraham's in there. As one of the most faithful. But Abraham did not start, start out as a man of great faith. He became a man of great faith. It took time. It took experience. And it took a lot of questioning of God. And I say that. It's okay to question God. When things aren't looking the way that you think they ought to look. And, and life's not going the way that it, It ought to go and and there's trouble in your life and you don't, the future is uncertain. Sometimes we naturally, God, God, God. Abraham did it. So after a few months, Abraham and Sarai moved back to Canaan, the promised land. Some weird stuff goes on in Egypt. And they become powerful. (laughs) You know about the weird stuff. They become powerful and they become wealthy. And Abram actually, he gets involved in wars with the kings. Back in those days, each city kind of had a king. It was still very tribal. And he gets into war with kings of different places. But he's powerful and God is with him. And he's winning these battles. And he knows that God is with him. But the years are going by. 75. 76, 77, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85. God, what's going on, Lord? And the Lord appears to him again. It's in chapter 15. And he says to Abram, don't be afraid. I will, I'm with you. I'll protect you. And Abram kind of responds to the Lord. They got this conversation going back and forth. And he says, yeah, I know that, Lord. But what about the promise? And the Lord says, look up at the sky. It's a clear night. I guess they're out in a dark spot. And there's all the stars are just out there. And the Lord says to him, you see all those stars? Such will be your descendants. You won't be able to count them. And it says, and Abram believed him. And then the Lord reminds him again, I'm giving you this land just as I promised. 
But Abram's not so sure. He kind of says, if you say so, Lord. He's not sure about this. And he even says, how can I be sure? Like, what's the guarantee of the promise, God? How can I be sure? I've waited so long. Now, that's Abram's perspective. Imagine if you're a Sarai. She's not getting visions from God. She's sitting at home. She's old. And Abram keeps showing up and saying, God spoke to me today. Gave me a promise. Said he's sending us to a place that's going to be our land. They get down there. And she's thinking already, I'm 65, bud. (laughs) You're 75. They get down to the land and there's a severe drought. And I'm sure Sarah's thinking, you sure, Abram? They go to Egypt. They come back out of Egypt. Ten years have gone. All she's got is her own man's version of this. I can imagine the conversation. What's happening to the promise, Abe? I'm getting older, Abe. You're getting older, Abe. What's happening with the promise, Abe? Are you sure you heard right? And then Abe says, oh, didn't I tell you I heard from God again? He showed me the stars and he said, our descendants are going to be as many of the stars and, and, and all the land is going to be. He, and, and poor Sarah is thinking, what's in that drinking bladder you got there, Abe? <laughs> like, are you up on the hills there drinking happy juice? Did you find some funny looking mushrooms? Like, what, what, what's going on, Abe? I'm not sure about this promise thing, Abe. You keep telling me that the Lord appears to you making all these promises, but I'm not so sure. I'm getting old. You're getting old. We're both getting old. What's going to happen here? And she comes up with a plan. I got an idea, Abraham. Abram. I got this servant girl. This was permitted back in those days. The servant, I mean, she, she owns the servant girl. And she says to Abram, Why don't you lay with the servant girl? She can have babies that will be in our name and everything will be good. Now I can imagine Abram going, seriously? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So they're going to give God a hand. God's made this promise. It's not working out. We've been waiting 10 years. Now maybe, maybe we need to be involved in the plan. So Abram does it. The servant girl gets pregnant. But then the servant girl gets a little uppity. Because back in those days, it was considered a blessing from the Lord. Offspring was a blessing from the Lord. So Sarah's got no offspring. The servant girl's pregnant. And it says she gets a little uppity. Like, hey, Sarah. What's wrong with you? Where's your blessing? I got my blessing. What's wrong with you? And And... Sarah gets a little, as you can imagine, a little annoyed at this. And she turns on Abram. (laughs) It's all your fault, guy. What's the idea? You sleep with her. She's pregnant. It's all your fault, guy. And and poor Abram's probably thinking, I'm just trying to be faithful to God. I believe the promise. You were the one that came up with the plan, and now it's my fault. Like, whoa. 
It's hard to wait on God, but it's doubly hard to wait on God when you've got a nagging voice in your ear. Where's God? Where's God in this? Now you've done this? Really? You know, the whole world... I was going to ask a question. I'm not going to ask a question. The whole world is a nagging spouse. Giving you reasons not to have faith. Giving you reasons to doubt God. Giving you a way to meet your needs outside of God's plan for your life. And pointing to the overwhelming evidence. He's 85. She's 75. There are lots of powerful people in this land. Really, God? The the, the weird thing with evidence, evidence always points in the opposite direction of faith. For faith to be faith, it is counterintuitive to evidence. Otherwise, you wouldn't need faith. You're just going with what you know to be true. It always points in the opposite direction of faith. And you see this through the Bible. You know, you, you look at what it says. If you want financial security, give your money away. Duh. If you want your needs met, put yourself last and serve the needs of others. Hmm? If you want to be loved, love your enemy. Hmm? If you want to be the greatest, then seek to be the least. If you want to live fully, die to self. It's counterintuitive. Faith goes the opposite of the evidence. Faith is trusting and acting on the word of God regardless of the evidence. So Hagar has a boy, Ishmael. And Sarah and Abram think, okay, deal's done. God's plan is coming to fruition here. Lucky, hey, we're here for you, God. (laughs) Abraham's 86 year old when Ishmael is born. 13 years later, Abram's 99 and God appears to him again. He reiterates the whole promise. He says, next year, you and Sarah will have a baby. I'm changing your names. You will be Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And she'll be Sarah, which means noble woman. You're noble when you've given birth to many children. You've been elevated. How do you think Sarah and and Abram reacted? Abram goes, yeah, right. (laughs) And Sarah laughs. laughs. Yeah, right. I'm 90. (laughs) Right, God. How did God respond? He asks Abraham a question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? A year later, Sarah gives birth to a son. They name him Isaac. And we are one step closer to Bethlehem. Now, obviously, there are a lot more details in this story. It's a lot of chapters, and I would recommend you read it. But what do we learn from Abram's account? First thing we learn, God keeps his promises. And there are so many. I put some in your, in your bulletin. There are so many promises. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on 
you. Fix your thoughts on God. You will have perfect peace. Not a peace. A perfect peace. Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good. A strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust him. Jeremiah 29.11. Everybody knows this one. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Hebrews 13.5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And my personal favorite is Psalm 37, 23, 24. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I call that my light. That's my absolute favorite passage of scripture. All the time I say this is one of my favorite. That there is my favorite scripture. I live by that scripture. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he won't fall because God's got him. I want to close with an illustration. Intellectual faith versus working faith. So, I'm at work. My wife's out. She calls me and says, let's have lunch. Meet me at such and such a place at 12.30. Well, I've got faith in her that she's going to be there. She has faith in me that I'm going to be there. If I don't show up, questions are asked. What happened? Are you okay? Like, what? I was there, but, but you weren't there. If she doesn't show up, questions are asked. What happened? Are you okay? I, I was there, but you weren't there. What happened? Are you okay? Now, if that becomes a pattern, if every time we make arrangements to meet at a place and, and one of us is hit or miss or, or doesn't show up more often than they do show up, that is going to affect the relationship, that is going to affect the trust in the relationship. That is going to affect the faith in the relationship. Here is what I have discovered. God keeps showing up. In my life, personally, God keeps showing up. And the more we show up, trusting the promises of God even in the dark times, God shows up. And here's what I learned. Faith is choosing to trust God. It is a choice. In the midst of all the pain, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of all of the evidence that points in the other direction, we choose to trust God. Because God is trustworthy. Trusting in the promises of God in the quiet times. Trusting in the promises of God when the facts say otherwise. Trusting in the promises of God when we're not sure. The more we show up in faith, the more we learn God can be trusted. He keeps showing up. He is the promise keeper. Amen.